Hello and welcome to a very special Canadian episode of Triassic Park, the podcast that covers every dinosaur movie, including dragons, or sometimes aliens, or sometimes yetis, made before the movie Jurassic Park. Today we are talking about one of the many Dino De Laurentiis King Kong ripoffs. Dilo De Laurentiis' King Kong may be the most ripped-off movie in cinema history. Every corner of the world has its very own King Kong rip-off from this time period. This was largely due to the fact that there was a colossal rights dispute over the ownership of the original 1933 Kong. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of that dispute in a future episode, but know that there was a time when there were two competing Kong movies from different studios both racing each other to get released first. Universal eventually dropped out and never released The Legend of King Kong, but the damage was done as every bargain bin studio across the land wanted to get their hands on the giant ape market. We've got the following. Ape, King Kung Fu, Queen Kong, Where Time Began, The Mighty Peking Man, Bye Bye Monkey, Porn Parody King Dong, and tonight's movie, Yeti, Giant of the 20th Century. And yes, if you're wondering, I have seen every single one of the movies that I just referenced. And King Dong is not the worst one. The worst one is by far Bye Bye Monkey. I first learned of this movie, Yeti, from the commentary for Ape, where the commentator named a movie in a long list similar to the one that I just gave you. What caught my attention was the location, Toronto which kind of made me do a giant facepalm as I had just finished doing an entire article about every time a giant monster attacked a Canadian city, and I somehow completely missed this movie. Just this year, I actually had a chance to buy a movie off of the guy who did the commentary for Ape, and when I said, I loved your commentary for Ape, he just said, that'll be $15, and ended the conversation. So for Canada Day this year... We're going to talk about this movie. Yeti, giant of the 20th century, is classified as an Italian ripoff. However, it's a little hard to rip off Dino De Laurentiis. The same movie and year, so not same movie, same year, Dino De Laurentiis released Orca. Orca is a very blatant ripoff of Steven Spielberg's Jaws. De Laurentiis was doing just as many ripoffs as he was getting ripped off. If you ask me, guy had it coming. Regardless, Yeti is a true wonder to behold. A bizarre co-production between Canada and Italy. As such, you have an entire Italian cast running through the Canadian wilderness and eventually Toronto itself. Or at least a rear production version of the city. Directed by Gianfranco Parolini, or what his name is in this movie, Frank Kramer... Yeti of the Giant 20th Century involves a Yeti from the Arctic washing ashore on the coasts of Newfoundland. From there, he is abducted and revived by a businessman. The Yeti is then taken to Toronto to be a brand new mascot for Honeycut Industries. It's not a real, it's not a real place. Not a real, well, I mean, Toronto is, but Honeycut Industries, not a real thing. He rampages throughout the city after escaping. Weirdly enough, unlike the majority of King Kong ripoffs, the Yeti doesn't die at the end of this movie. He survives and has a truly bizarre send-off where he teaches us all about the dangers of global warming. 
Yeti never saw a theatrical release in North America, but that hasn't stopped it from making an impact on any soul unlucky enough to have it inflicted upon them. Being a staple of TV in the 80s, a generation has the sight of a giant prosthetic Yeti nipple burnt into their memories. When I visited Toronto after viewing this film earlier this year, I did a Yeti landmark tour hosted by me, and only me, including a recreation of the famous promo image featuring the Yeti posing in front of Toronto City Hall. Filled to the brim with unabashed Canadiana, this film has some really shoddy effects. The matte work is noticeably low rent, but the film never lets budget constraints or believability stop it from going all in. There are giant hands, giant feet, and a whole lot of broken glass. Funny enough, this movie is more of a faithful adaptation of the movie Rampage than the movie that was called Rampage. This is on display specifically in the sequence where the Yeti crawls down a large building and it just smashes its feet through every single window. The miniature to do this must have been pretty effective and pretty large, uh, as it looks pretty impressive on screen, all things considered. The Yeti has a face, which (laughs) is very odd for a King Kong ripoff or any King Kong movie, to be honest. The largest issue with many Kong movies is that there's a giant prosthetic monkey face. And while if you have enough money to use stop motion, you can actually make that emotive. But most of the time they're done with suits, especially the ripoffs. And it's a little hard to have an emotional connection. (laughs) The actor who was the Yeti in this movie would play a character, play one of the disciples of Jesus in an Italian movie later that year. The dog is also named Angel, which is a bit apt because it starts out as a weird lassie parody and it ends up showing up in a ray of light and charging downhill like it's Gandalf at Helm's Deep. That's the movie. Normally, we'd go into a dinosaur breakdown from here. However, There are no dinosaurs in this film. I could relay the history of Gigantopithecus. However, I'm saving that for a Kong movie, as the king deserves it much more than this has been. However, the Yeti itself does have some interesting history in folklore. It's a creature from Nepal, said to be prehistoric ape-like creature, normally depicted with white fur, not in this movie, and it haunts the mountains. Mm, it's kind of the most famous version that you hear a lot of tales from is Eric Shipton's famous 1951 expedition. And that's kind of a little dubious because, again, we're talking about a white guy taking folklore from Nepal and then packaging it and selling it to the masses. The country's folklore should really be looked at through the eyes of somebody who actually lives in the country, such as Shiva Dekal, who wrote a large amount of the collected folktales called Folk Tales of Sherpa and Yeti, and, you know, it's pretty accurate. Almost all cases of the Yeti, according to the BBC, are believed to be a bear, because they recently did a number of DNA tests on any yeti proof or yeti footprints they found and they found that it was very similar to a polar bear so there you go probably it's just a bear that doesn't stop everyone from getting yeti fever much like this movie depicts the best of which has to be 
when Jimmy Stewart went to Nepal and came back with what he was told was a Yeti finger. Nope, wasn't a Yeti finger. It was just your normal run-of-the-mill dismembered human finger. And that, my friends, is a tale of Yeti in folklore. But let's talk about the Yeti in cinema as we enter the discussion portion of the show. And thank goodness it's not just going to be me rambling on about the wonders of the Yeti for hours and hours. I have some very illustrious guests, starting with Valeska. Hello, Valeska. How are you? You know, if you really wanted to talk about the Yeti, I would have happily watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for you. Ah, but that's a bumble and not a Yeti. (laughs) Torontonian. Torontonian, bred and born. Born and bred. Yep. Yep, born and bred. Another Torontonian is joining us. Joe, hello, Joe. We're taking hello. over. Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, you are taking taking over this, uh, you know, this podcast, and uh, this is the only movie you can do. So, good, good takeover. Good that, takeover. That makes me sad in the pants. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Aww. and also we're joined by a very special guest, Stephen Ray Morris, who I'm going to declare an honorary Canadian. Hello, Stephen. Ah, I'm so, that makes me feel so good. I'm so honored. And I didn't even realize when we, this movie was going to take us to the beautiful city of Toronto, which I am in love with. So that was a pleasant surprise. Maybe the only pleasant surprise in, the, in this movie. <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one, uh, one of wonder to experience Yeti Giant of the 20th century. I mean, I think so the I Return guess... of the Dog is another really good surprise. Yes, yes. Like I said, the dog basically is Gandalf the White and just shows up and saves the day. Um, yeah, some more Tolkien love to explore. So I guess let's just start going down the horn and let's just get some opinions of the movie itself. Just your first run of the mill, first thing you think of when you now hear the word Yeti. Joe, I'm going to go with you first. Um, I enjoyed the fact that you gave me a heads up that there was nipple play in this, and I did not appreciate the fact that it looked like olive tap and nut. What? Olive tap and nut? What is that? What? <laughs> did you just make that up? No, it's like an olive No, spread. that's a thing. <laughs> that sounds like some Eric Shipton BS, Jimmy Stewart finger stealing man okay valeska what did you think of this movie uh i was not given the warning about nipple play which upsets me greatly because i was shocked and appalled by the appearance um i don't know what to say about this movie i hated it Great, great. Okay, so we're going to have some dissent here because I think that this is uh, Criterion Collection worthy. Um, Steven. Also, I, I think that the Yeti was quite clearly like a Neanderthal. He wasn't a Yeti. I Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, he's totally a Neanderthal. Uh, guys, he's a Yeti. He's a Yeti. Yeti. So, Yeti. Yeti. If they, if they, they can't decide how to say it, but they say it enough times where he's not a Neanderthal, guys. He has to be a Yeti. <laughs> has to be Steven what did you think he had of nice eyes the, he, he did have he nice did have eyes. nice eyes there was a soul there yeah this I felt was... like I knew him you know yeah no I I I thought it was I mean 
I, I guess I haven't watched enough of 70s monster creature feature trash, but if anything, I appreciated... I felt like there was a lot of, like, DNA from this movie that, you know, keeps getting replicated into, like, trashy movies, monster movies now, where it's, like, the evil corporation and the... You know, for me, I'm just looking for all those connections to, like, you know, your Jurassic Park, uh, Congo, um, Anaconda, Deep Blue Sea. You know, this is this is just like the badly uh, redubbed version of it. But I appreciated seeing Toronto in the 70s. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's surprisingly educational, too, because I did not know that the police cars in Toronto were yellow at the time. And I looked it up and it turns out, yeah, they were. And I was like, what? Really? Like, that's weird. Also, like, they give some very specific Toronto directions in this movie. Like, they will literally go like, oh, he's down on Young Street. And they'll make comments. And I'm like, I think that's accurate, but I'm not sure. Uh, Velazga or Joe, I would, I'd be very interested to hear, one, about the accuracy of Toronto in this movie, if there is any. Uh, I didn't take uh, I any... I can't speak to... The... Go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't really, um, okay, you go for sure. Okay. I I can't speak to the accuracy. I'll maybe allow Valeska to tackle that, but I can tell you that one of the reasons why they name drop so many streets and locations is that it's a condition on co-productions during the tax shelter era getting their money. So there's like a prerequisite formula that tells you you have to have a certain number of Canadian actors and behind the scenes talent, but also like the more obvious you can make a Canadian reference, the more it fulfills that criteria. So that's part of the reason why it's in there. Oh, what? Oh, see, look at this movie is educational. Why, guys. Is why there's so many flags? Because I had to like take mm-hmm. a drink every time I saw a Canadian flag. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're dead. So yes. we're talking to Steven's ghost. Yes, exactly. There was, there was a lot. It's funny you mentioned the, the history of using a, uh, a giant creature as like a mascot or like an evil corporation. Kong movies of this time were very guilty of that. Um, most famously, of course, in King Kong 1976, he's meant to be an oil mascot. I don't, yeah, he's like, they put a big, they put a big crown on him. Like, you know how in the original 1933 King Kong, if if you know it, if you don't, but they basically like show him off to the world. They're like, it's the eighth wonder of the world. Well, they do that same scene in the the 70s movie, but they lower a giant crown onto him. And it's like, look, he's wearing the crown of our oil company. Huck, yuck, yuck. It's great. Uh, (laughs) Which is just bizarre. And I've, I've kind of tried to locate the exact moment where that trope started. And for King Kong, specifically in giant monkey movies, it appears like the very first movie to do that was Godzilla, or sorry, was King Kong versus Godzilla in 1962. Because in that movie, they want Kong as a pharmaceutical uh, mascot and they basically they bring him to japan so that they can like use him as a mascot and then when godzilla breaks out they're like ah he's our mascot and we'll get even better press if we can make king kong fight and defeat godzilla and save all of tokyo wow. so they they ha- there's like a very bizarre undercourt current even even back then of corporations using 
a giant monster to you know to pitch their products i wonder if that's kind of like a commentary oh i mean it's obviously a commentary on commercialism but uh i don't know what exact point it's trying to make like we're using the wonders of the world and abusing it to make profits or they just couldn't think of anything other than mascots well don't know well i think now thinking of that and i wrote it down in my notes what would have made cloverfield a better movie is if the creature in Cloverfield was like sponsored by Doritos or Mountain Dew or something. <laughs> I think that's what really was missing from that movie. Yes, 100%. They needed a giant logo, like just tattooed on the side of the Cloverfield monster. And you'd just be like, oh, new Mountain Dew. And now it is kind of funny you mentioned that because the now I'm way too nerdy for my own good. But when the there was an ARG released before Cloverfield came out, that tied it to a soda brand. Oh so yes, was... you're right. The um the J.J. Abrams stuff. That's like in all yeah. the J.J. Abrams properties. What's the name of that soda? Oh goodness, it's not. No, I uh, I'm trying to remember what exactly the soda is called. But yeah, it's linked to all these different J.J. Ob- Abrams properties, and they kind of tried to tie the monster into the soda somehow. Slush-o. And there's like, oh okay, Slush-o. yes, because even uh, John Goodman in the Cloverfield Lane. He yes. has like cases of of like slusho yeah, in he's his been bunker. It. What? Oh my! Okay, that is a mystery to find out another time. <laughs> but I guess even yeah. So even now, there's something about brands infecting the world and bringing us giant monsters. It's very, it's very bizarre. So what, we should all um, be rallying around the Yeti for the upcoming revolution, I guess. Yes. Yeah, I guess so. The Yeti—I mean, the Yeti would be a pretty good revolution mascot. I mean, he's—he's uh, he's certainly got enough hair. Listeners, take note. <laughs> listen, listeners, take note and use Yeti as your signs of resistance. So, okay, I guess I want to get around the horn as to just kind of get some familiarity with Italian cinema in general from the bunch. Um, Valeska, do you have like a lot of history with uh, Italian cinema, especially around this time period? Uh, apart from like Suspiria, not really. No, not like so Giallo's and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, ha- have you seen other Giallo's or just Suspiria? No, no shame, just. <laughs> um, we're all just judging you, but no shame. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't even call Suspiria a Giallo, really, but uh, no. no. No, I mean that's fair. It's a it's a very weird time for Italian cinema. Uh, Joe, have you I seen mean, a Black lot of Italian? Well. Oh, nice. Joe, have you seen a lot of Italian cinema from this time? I know. Uh, I've I've seen a certain number of giallos, but even then, they're mostly Argento. So right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm familiar with the idea that they make a lot of movies that end up very badly dubbed when they get imported into North America. <laughs> so the the dubbing on this film is particularly egregious, but it's par for the course. Well, it is par for the course, and that's basically because there was a time when they weren't recording with sound. They weren't recording sound during their productions in right. Italy. Um, so that's why. M- even if you were watching this movie in Italian, it would still be dubbed. Like, so there's no real master track that they would have recorded at the filming of the actual movie itself. Just because one, they they it was just cheap, so they decided to just like you know cut the costs and not hire a sound guy and do it all. I'll do it all in post. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> Steven is Steven is fuming right now. If he had a time machine, <laughs> he would go back to the words. <laughs> uh but 
it's a uh, it's a weird it's a weird tactic, but it allowed them to really uh, do a lot of very easy international uh, releases because they did not have to have like a, they didn't have to have all these parts that layer that you normally have to that you normally have like layered that you have to like separate out and all that stuff. They just would give them the blank thing and they'd be like, "Go ham, do what you want." Um, Stephen, have you seen a lot of seventies? cinema uh, sorry 70s italian cinema from this era i mean to be honest i mean i feel like i mean i feel like i've seen maybe a couple of the westerns but like that's pretty much it i mean it did blow my mind that this movie came out the same year as the original star wars (laughs) (laughs) that is kind of kind of insane um it, it yeah so italian cinema of this time is a very interesting uh set place I've, I've seen that like italian what's the like italians or the gif of the guy going like Whoa! like i know that's from like a 70s italian movie like italian spider-man or something like that i know the gif you're thinking oh. of and i wish i could name it <laughs> <laughs> like it's that, so good <laughs> like the face that he's making as he opens the door and is like shocked uh, uh yep that that might be 70s that also could be a spider-man which is the japanese spider-man show oh god right yeah. Oh, don't. Oh, God. Joe, do not. Oh, God. The Japanese Spider-Man on this podcast. Spider-Man, who is like the emissary of hell and has a giant robot called Leopardon. He we we love him on this podcast. <laughs> You've been told. Since the podcast is only me, I love him on this podcast. But um, I have seen, uh, surprising no one, I have seen uh, quite a bit of Italian cinema from this time period, uh, specifically in the trashy monster movie variety. Shocking. And um, most of those are ripoffs of Jaws. There's a lot of Italian Jaws ripoffs. Right. And they can be really, really, really bad. Um, Tentacles is one of my favorites, where it's like it's a giant killer octopus roaming around. And one of the final moments of the movie, they try to recreate the Indianapolis speech from like from Jaws and like make it like really serious and really heartfelt. But it's just a guy about to release two orca whales at the you know at the prop octopus to kill it and he starts like detailing about their history as like being his best friends and like we've been through a lot together me and you and he's just talking to two orcas that he's about to release onto this horde of (laughs) octopi and let me tell you that movie has a crazy orcas eat octopus scene that goes on for what feels like three hours it's bad um i've also seen quite a few westerns uh westerns are not my like preferred genre i've certainly seen a plenty of genre, uh, westerns that i really like uh and a lot of those are italian the spaghetti western era was pretty pretty hot during this time period although i uh it might be middling near the tail end of the 70s because the 60s is when they had the big push and this was kind of uh, very much a genre-heavy period for Italian cinema. So I'm not that surprised to see this uh, in the works, especially given the rest of the movies that I mentioned around this time period. Has anyone seen any entries of Kong exploitation before? I think that's probably an interesting, interesting discussion. Has anyone seen like a rip-off Kong movie, a giant monkey movie that you feel like... Hmm, that may be suspiciously like Kong, but not. Apart from this one? Encino. Other than this one. Other than this one. Encino Man, yep, there you go. 
I mean, really? I mean, you probably could argue it. You yeah, could I was rewatching it. it recently, and it was just it. It just was funny. Then watching this, and then seeing like being unfrozen in the you know the ice and everything. I mean, it's very different. It would be like if you, the Yeti went to like back to high school, you know. <laughs> oh that would have been a better movie. <laughs> that would have been an amazing movie. Uh, so, scriptwriters, if you're listening, please take that idea and just run with it, so we can get Yetis, uh, Yetis in high school. If you want to cover uh, Encino Man on this home. one, I will come back. What year was Encino Man? I bet you it was after Jurassic Park, uh, or was it? Good question. I'll look it up. Ninety-five or something. Yeah, yep, ninety-five. No, just ninety-two. Oh, oh okay yes. fine Valeska okay Valeska you're back for Encino man um, I guess we'll discover we'll talk about Neanderthals as well it's now added to the podcast purview uh, which kind of fits because there's a lot of uh, dinosaur movies especially in the 60s that just completely throw out factual history and just go yeah neanderthals are also there so it's just like there's a bunch of like ancient caveman movies that have a bunch of dinosaurs in it including one with ringo star in it um i actually have seen that movie and that movie is so much fun (laughs) good good to know when they like invent music that is like the greatest stupid comedy sequence of all time i think it's just called caveman i think that's what it is he sticks his hand in the fire and it's like ah oh like the different notes (laughs) (laughs) gosh now i want to watch that movie there you go look at see the yeti just brings us all together and brings (laughs) us all of these different avenues of joy the yeti can we just just spend the rest of the podcast talking about better movies than this one then is that like an option that we can explore (laughs) i mean but that leaves us with what five movies and we've talked about four of them fair yeah it's very true okay joe you seem like you're holding on to a lot of feelings about this movie and you just just release them let me hear let's let's get all these thoughts out because you you seem like you've been holding back all right look this movie could have actually been a decent amount of fun like it's not a good movie obviously but it could have been fun but it's an hour and 40 minutes long and this movie needed to like slow its roll and just end it was about an hour too long (laughs) <laughs> I'm on the same page as you, as you both. <laughs> the performances run the gamut from like ham to wooden with nothing in between. Well, and like once they get to Toronto, it's like you think that that's like the climax of the movie. You know, I mean, sorry to jump ahead, but like it, it, that felt like the ending of the movie to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially when you have that, frankly, pretty decent sequence that, Andrew, you mentioned in the synopsis where we've got the the yeti trying to grab what's her name jane from the elevator like yep. that's legitimately good but then we have to go to some factory in italy for like 40 minutes and it's just like never ending okay but there was a choke out with a prop foot yeah <laughs> like oh but my goodness no make up for 40 minutes worth of content i it <laughs> I wrote an article on that movie, uh, like, last year, like, this movie last year, and my editor came back to me, like, three times and was like, I think you typed, typoed this scene, right? Like, what did you mean choked out by a prop foot? <laughs> what, did, what did you mean by that? And I, like, explained it to him. He's like, are you sure? That sounds ridiculous. And I'm like, no, no, no. I swear this happens in the movie. And he's like... 
all right, I'm putting it in there, but if that, whatever. <laughs> and I have, I've heard at least one podcast that has watched this movie and recorded a podcast on this movie from that article. And when they talk about why they watched the movie, they're like, yeah, I was reading the article and it said choked out by a prop foot. And I was like, I got to watch that movie. And I was like, I knew you, you read my article. I know you read my article. <laughs> because I am basically king of the E.T., this movie, because on on if you Google this movie, I am the second Google... My article is the second Google result yes. on this movie. Wait, are we just proud. here so that you can talk about the fact that you published an article about this and then you made other people watch this movie? Like, is this some kind of sadistic, cyclical thing that you do to people? They didn't, they recorded the podcast and they didn't credit my article. So I have to take back the reins of the king of the Yeeti. So I have to record podcasts about it and keep the discussion out. His and ego is a real Yeeti history. in the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. So you guys both sound like you're just completely tired of this movie and tortured. And you sound like I put you through a lot. Uh, Steven, did this movie torture you as much as it seemed to, to uh, torture Valeska and Joe? I think it's, I mean, I, I wonder, I mean, personally, because I'm not familiar with the genre as much, I feel like for me, it's like, I, I guess for me, if I was more familiar with the genre, I might find more enjoyment of it because you're sort of sticking with the, like, you understand the hallmarks, the, you know, the sort of uh, badly dubbed lines and the sort of well, it's a 70s movie, so there's always got to be babes around. You know, it's just like there's just sort of random babes just hanging out in scenes <laughs> like with really beautiful hair and great shoes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, I feel like, yeah, I think if anything, this movie was just a little slow. But, I mean, that, that Yeti has a lot of soul. I thought he, I mean, he was kind of the best the best thing about this movie. Um, and I kind of like how they sort of make the, the dog a villain, weirdly, but then bring him, I don't know, it's... There's just a lot going on. There actually is a lot going on in this movie, and I kept thinking that the main old guy, Henry, was uh, Professor Waterman. Was that his yeah. name? Yeah, that I he looked so. distractingly like Jeffrey Rush the whole time. Oh I thought he looked yes. like Mel from Sleepaway Camp, like twenty years later. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 you know, and again for me, it's like seeing those connections to other monster movies on the continuum is always like. I, I was trying to find the, 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 the positives, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, here's a question for you, Stephen. How would this compare to Carnosaur, which is probably <laughs> the most blatant Jurassic Park ripoff? Well, which it was, not, it's well, it was it's rushed weird. to theaters uh, a month ahead, starring Laura Dern's mom. I mean, you can't even get a bigger trying to rip off Jurassic Park than trying to release a month early to beat it to the theaters. And then also starring Diane Ladd. Like, what were those conversations at the dinner table? Like, so how's Jurassic Park filming? How's Carnosaur? It's like, well, somebody's chasing me around with a sock puppet. And then Laura Dern's, like, showing pictures of, like, this beautiful Stan Winston animatronic. Um, I, I will say that Carnosaur and this movie have a lot in common in that I find that, like, low-budget movies have their climaxes set in construction sites because you don't have to dress the set. You're like, we're in a construction site. It looks like a construction site. Like, you can kind of save money by setting your climax of the movie in sort of a generic uh, environment. And then... Right. Or, or yeah. like a factory or, or, you know, just a warehouse or... Mm -hmm. You know, and, and also the Carnosaur in this movie also have, 
you know, construction equipment involved in their final fights, you know, as well. Um, it's true. It's true. I guess that that's like why every Power Rangers fight uh, ends yes, in a oh rock quarry because yes, yeah, because. Oh Super Super Sentai, the Japanese productions, they were like, Yeah, we can blow up everything we want in this rock quarry, but we can't do explosions on a on like a busy street. So they're gonna start there and then they're somehow gonna end up in either a cave or a rock quarry and there's gonna be some explosions. Yeah, I, th- th- this movie was was fun, it but I almost wish that um you know, it was almost like they could have gone f- it was like, do you go full Iron Giant with it, or do you make him more of a monster? And part of me almost wished he was more of a monster. I feel like he was sympathetic. But yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because again, that's like a that's like a Kong thing, and how how accurate and how effective they are depends on who's writing it and who's acting it and how it how it works. Um, a lot of times in order to uh, it happens a little bit in this movie which we'll definitely talk about it's kind of it's a little questionable but what happens in like most Kong exploitation and like even a number of Kong films they always make the the giant ape fall in love with a woman and then something terrible happens to the woman and that drives the monster to come out so they use like the to to make the humanize it they they be like oh it has a relationship with this person and then something bad happens to the person and then it just destroys everything and and does a huge amounts of damage and 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 it can oftentimes be at the expense of the female characters in the story which uh which does happen a little bit in this movie but it's not nearly nearly as bad as like half of the other movies i referenced because it can get real nasty if it has a really bad screen screenwriter who is clearly just intent on ripping ripping the story off and not trying to do anything with it so weirdly enough the humanity of the yeti um is a little bit more pronounced and a little bit more deftly handled than it is in certain other movies of this ilk um, which is which is why one of the good things about having all of you on is that you guys have not watched thirty Kong exploitation movies. That's like not even exaggeration. I wrote a whole article on Kong exploitation, and I, I went to watch every single one of them. Some of them were just like Indian movies that are like amazing. There's a whole bunch of like amazing King Kong Bollywood movies, um, which are just stupendous. That sounds um, yeah, and and there are some from like very early, the very early Bollywood period, which is just which is joyful. And there's so many like um, giant uh, gorilla movies from Japan as well that are a blast. But there are some really bad ones. And again, the fact that I have watched these movies makes me like when I watch Yeti, I'm putting it on like a chart. Like I have a chart in my head that's all of these movies ranked like to. To really fun, to bad, to like good bad, to garbage, the the bottom of the earth, never watch it. I'm looking at you, bye bye monkey. I hate you. <laughs> bye bye, Joe. Have you seen Bye Bye Monkey? Andrew, no, I of course have not seen <laughs> Bye Bye Monkey. Look, I don't know. It's a Jeff Hart, Gerard Depardieu movie. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you had seen that. It's That's a terrible title in and of itself. It's a movie where the only appearance it's it's supposed to be a King Kong sequel and some guy finds King Kong's corpse on the beach and finds a little baby monkey and starts raising that monkey as his own. Okay. Wow. What's and the then a whole <laughs> and then a whole bunch of like really 
disgusting rapey stuff happens and you're like what is going on in this movie i thought it was gonna be like a heartfelt movie about him like raising this child or something and it's just like it's, it's terrible it's very bad it's a very bad movie and i watched it and i was like well this is the biggest waste of time i've ever had so that's the worst one uh and there was like no fun in that movie um other than the prop the prop for the dead king kong on the beach was kind of cute because they like walk around it and they run around it and they like kick it a few times and you're like, oh, I mean, that's a giant prop, so somebody made that, so that's kind of cool. But that was the only plus I will give that movie. Um, so on that scale, I look at Yeti a bit differently than um, let's call it let's call it a rational person, like <laughs> a person who has not spent large swaths of their lives with these movies. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's for me with 90s creature features, you know, yeah. something like Anaconda kind of, it doesn't hold up as much or Lake Placid, but like Congo is really cool because even though uh, Dylan Walsh is supposedly the hero or like the main character, truly it's Ernie Hudson and Laura Linney's movie. And it's stuff like that where like you kind of, because if you're familiar enough with these types of movies, you can kind of see the ways that they kind of break the mold or... or you know uh they're just destroying tropes and you're like well but why would a why would congo directed by the producer of jurassic park like why would that be any good but you're like no here's the ways that it feels a little bit more interesting and progressive or whatever uh yeah but it's like it's only if you're familiar and you have a, an appreciation for it if you're just watching it for the first time you're just like wow these gorilla suits look really bad <laughs> Oh, Congo is like a goat. I love Congo. Oh, no, no. Was... I mean, yeah. I mean, I have Congo trading cards. I have, oh, my gosh. I have, I have, I'm starting to get most of the action figures, too. Oh, because, no. again, speaking of ripoffs, literally they're just, like, original Jurassic Park figures on eBay are pretty expensive now. But if you just get the Congo figures, they're essentially just repaints of the Jurassic Park figures. And they're, like, <laughs> a third of the price. Amazing. That's that is amazing. That's just like a handy tip. Uh, let me tell. There is a lot of of uh, of movie merchandise that gets that. Like there are. I, I'm trying to. There have been like again, because I guess all of my knowledge is based on King Kong stuff. There you go. But there's a whole bunch of King Kong toys that are just like kind of like repaints of different monkeys appearing in different movies. Um, oh, wow. So I think it's. Like, I think Playmates uses the same mold for. It's yeah, so it's the same mold for King Kong that was the same mold for their Rampage toy, which was just a King Kong like character but white, like painted white. <laughs> oh, so wow. you're just like, oh my goodness. So uh, more toy facts uh, because again, my knowledge is all King Kong apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody's got to have a hobby. <laughs> Joe, mm-hmm. other than the elevator scene. Tell me a good thing about this movie. Uh, I like the fact that the dog survived because I got very frustrated and and I don't completely agree with you, Stephen, that I think the dog is ever painted out <laughs> to be a villain. But I, I did enjoy the fact that it managed to come back, even though it clearly had just been splashed with a little bit of red paint and told to run down a hill. <laughs> he redeemed himself. He <laughs> <laughs> He's a good boy after all. <laughs> Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Perfect. Velasca, do you have any other nice things to say? Um, I really liked the sympathetic Yeti. I liked his soulful eyes. I liked uh, the liked fact that hair. the yeah. <laughs> 
I like that his hair was so um so voluminous and soft looking after being, you know, frozen in a block of ice for centuries. And I like that the American Collie was listed as such in the opening credits. It says the American Collie, Indio. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And I also really um, want one of those Steve, uh, Kiss Me Yeti shirts. Kiss, you do. I do. Because the... It, it, w- it was a little gropey. It was like a weird gropey thing. I mean, Andrew, like I thought- if you if you need to know anything about the power of this movie, it's the fact that it it actually influenced the costume design in quintessential queer cinema burlesque, which also has <laughs> costumes that feature gropey hands over the boobs in uh, in a big scene. Yeah, learn, wow. Andrew. Uh, you know what? And now I'm being educated. What a, what a nice what a nice change. I think actually you guys jokingly bring up the merchandise is is another interesting fact to talk about in terms of King Kong because this is kind of a direct parody of the 76 King Kong movie because much like I mean, I, I feel like for a lot of modern modern audiences, when they talk about like uh, a summer movie that had an insane amount of merchandise, a lot of people talk about that 1989 Batman, like the summer of 1989 was just Batmania, and there was like <laughs> Batman stuff everywhere. Well, it was kind of like that for King Kong in 76. So uh, having an entire merchandise like rot line and having all these like sponsorships is kind of uh, an in nod to um, the fervor that uh, happened when King Kong 76 was on the horizon. You know, I mentioned King Kong 76. No, 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 no Yeti merch, unfortunately. Although, hey, you know, we could, we could get some, I mean, talk to, talk to your people in Toronto guys, get us, get us some Yeti, get us a Yeti uh, portion of the ROM. I want like uh, an old Yeti McDonald's cup, (laughs) like the Jurassic Park ones. Oh, I have those behind me actually in my. Oh, in my you're so right lucky! Now. My mom threw mine out. No, nah, well, I got <laughs> mine as mine were a gift later in life. I probably had them as a kid and yeah, got thrown away. Parents uh, don't understand. No, they don't. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't. I guess they couldn't afford to get the AT to climb the. Oh, I love Toronto so much, but I just want to say Drake Tower, and I'm sorry if that's offensive. The CN Tower. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, now you're no longer welcome in the country, uh, Stephen. Sorry. No, You've been I, stripped I, of your honorary citizenship. I just can't remember the name. <laughs> I just know it's the uh, the the. I I haven't gone up to it. I've been to Toronto twice, so I I'm still new. It's yeah, pretty great. Forget, they have a glass forgive floor. Forgive me, I'm still new. The glass oh. floor is not great. The glass floor is terrifying. No, it's amazing. Go. Oh my goodness. Well, that's because you live dangerously, and I live the opposite of dangerously <laughs> in my house watching King Kong ripoffs. Have, have any of you guys seen King Kong 1976? Steven, have you that, that, seen? That's the Jessica Lang one, right? Yep, that's a Jessica Lang one. Uh, I've seen parts of it, uh, but I haven't seen the whole thing. It's not very good. Uh, Joe, have you seen 1976 Kong? I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've seen like clips, like uh, sort of. Yeah, I've, I've seen clips, and I had heard that it's not very good, so I was kind of amazed where every time you keep bringing it up, like, people were rushing to capitalize on it, and I'm like, but that movie didn't do well. No, um, but, um, but the Leska, I guess they have you didn't seen know it? that at the time. So. Uh, no, no, it's, it, I'll get into that in a second, though. Uh, Valeska, have you seen I King haven't, Kong? but I love Jessica Lang, so I probably should at some point. 
Oh, Jessica Lange is great. She is that's her very first movie though, and they oh, do wow. not use her well. Yeah, so that's Jessica Lange's uh King Kong 1976 is is the very first movie by Jessica Lange. And um that I really really do not like King Kong 1976. It's one of my uh least favorite giant monster movies. So, I actually like Yeti better wow. than King Kong 1976. And one of the one of the big reasons uh, for that is there are like there's also no dinosaurs in this movie, but in King Kong 1976 they go to Skull Island and they do all the things that they do in normal King Kong stories, but they remove all of the extra things that make Skull Island interesting oh. and make it just Kong, and like so there's no like so spider pits, Island. there's no yeah sorry. So it's Kong Island. Yeah, it's basically Kong Island, and there's no like dinosaurs, and there's no there's no nothing that makes it interesting. And then the acting and the performances are bad. King Kong looks pretty bad. I mean, he he looks better than the Yeti. Like I'm not I'm not being that terrible to say, um, eh, but it it doesn't have the heart that most King Kong stories do. And I am going to say something that's incredibly controversial in the King Kong universe. Uh I think, I think King Kong lives, which is the 1986 sequel where King Kong gets a heart transplant is a, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a sequel. So 10 years after 19th King Kong 76, Dino De Laurentiis made another King Kong movie. Super. The budget was slashed quite a bit. And they wanted to bring back King Kong. So they have a Lady King Kong that's found. <gasps> lady Kong? And, yep, they have a Lady Kong. Um, and this Lady Kong looks better than Queen Kong because Queen Kong is a very bad suit and is, again, a very is an interesting movie. We'll, we will talk about Queen Kong, interestingly enough. We'll also talk about King Kong 76 in another movie. I mean, obviously, I'm just going to do all the King Kong movies. Look at me. I'm, I'm a King kong file whatever that means um but they they needed to they gave a mechanical heart to king kong but it kept them alive but the blood wasn't flowing properly so they needed to get blood from another kong species in order to give him a blood transfusion so that he would come back to life so that's what they did with the lady kong so they took her blood and they put it into auto king kong and then king kong falls in love with lady kong and then they they just walk around to appalachian mountains a bunch and they have like romance scenes and then there's a little baby king kong at the end of the movie and at one point king kong eats a bunch of rednecks and um yeah i mean it's that fun. last part sounds pretty good indigestion oh it's like a bit of garbage he i think they actually i think there is a, a, a sequence where he does have indigestion from eating nice. all of the um yeah from eating all of the very gross um rednecks uh it's kind of hilarious it's really it's a it's a it's a wild movie but it's a lot of fun whereas i think king kong 1976 takes itself a little bit too seriously uh and as a a result i think it's kind of a failure uh in that regard um a big thing about that movie uh it's very important for the history of king kong rights issues which is why it'll be a fun episode to talk about but um they advertised there being a giant animatronic kong like that was what sold the movie there was supposed to be a huge lifelike two scale kong prop that would like move and do like mechanical motions so you would see it on screen like basically being an entire entire animatronic but it didn't work 
Oh, wow. So they, they used it in all their advertising for the film and, like, including articles. Like, they did articles, like, I think even Time Magazine and stuff where they're like, look at this amazing King Kong next level mm-hmm. of cinematic effects. We're using animatronics like they've never been done before. But it didn't work. The Robocon didn't work. Uh, it, it was, And it, in the movie, there's only, like, probably about five to ten seconds maybe a few wow. scenes where they actually use it but it, it it was that broken and that unusable that it does not appear in the majority of the film uh as such the most of kong 76 is a rick baker uh in a uh, ape suit uh wow. and it's a good looking ape suit i was but. gonna say that doesn't sound like a bad thing but also can we get a movie called robo kong which is <laughs> robocop only it's an ape in a <laughs> well one, that's a possibility, but McCanny Kong is the thing, and that's a mechanized King Kong, what? first appearing in the King Kong show, which was an animated King Kong show made in the 70s, which then got adapted for a Japanese movie by um, Rankin Bass. Yes, the same Rankin Bass that made wow. The Bumble. We're bringing it back to Rudolph. And in that movie, there's an evil doctor, coincidentally named Doctor Who, he he's not doctor who but he's a japanese doctor who that's the character's name is doctor who and he creates an evil robot kong and that kong is used to mine for uranium and then that kong gets broken so he has to kidnap the real king kong to mine uranium for him and then that king kong escapes so then robot kong gets fixed to fight him and they they fight on top of tokyo tower king kong wins and the the robot explodes but yeah mechanic kong is a thing that was That's a roller funny. coaster. Yeah, I was, I was on a real journey there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you say that the animatronic... I didn't really know anything about the history behind the animatronic because the animatronic King Kong that was at Universal Studios before it sadly burned down in the early 2000s, that was what inspired Steven Spielberg to do Jurassic Park. So it's funny that a King Kong won did not work and what and then obviously the shark doesn't work the whole jaws animatronic not working in the original jaws it feels like the history of animatronics is being inspired when they see like ones that don't work and they're like we got to do better than this <laughs> yeah that's that's very that's very true um i yeah like i'm inter- i don't know how so i briefly mentioned in the in in the chatting and the notes uh, in the f- before front there was a universal king kong movie being made at this exact same time as 1976 kong and that was called the legend of king kong and i don't know how they were planning on doing the king kong effects yeah. for that movie because it got pretty far into production uh like there are uh like a lot of uh art concept art made up for it and they had a plot written out apparently it was like pretty much oh it was supposed to be a period piece similar to uh the 20 2005 king kong remake by peter jackson so that would have been interesting um but yeah uh, i'm looking this up here at oh gosh it was known as the confrontation that's really funny the, the King Kong part of the ride at at the Backlot Tour at Universal Studios was based on the 1976 King Kong film. Oh, uh, and this that's op- wild. And this opened in 1986 and then burned down in 2008 before being replaced by the uh, Peter Jackson King Kong 3D ride, which I've ridden many times. Nice, nice. Which I, I'm sure is fun, but there's always something you kind of miss when you're not like animatronic and like going through it. It's like... It's kind of like the Back to the Future ride getting taken over by the Simpsons ride, and the Simpsons ride is still fun, but it's not the Back to the Future ride because, like, 
Anyways, this, that that's we could get into theme parks in, an, in another <laughs> podcast. I am certain mm-hmm. um but yeah that that is interesting I, I i am not surprised that it took them 10 years to make an <laughs> animatronic kong based off of this uh, out the 76 kong especially given how it didn't work <laughs> i also wonder if the rights were probably still in dispute for a while because universal bought rko i believe oh wow yeah because rko made the original king kong and everyone who made the original king kong thought they owned the rights to King Kong. So that means Willis O'Brien, the guy who did all the stop-motion effects, Marion C. Cooper, the director, and RKO were all like, no, we all we own the rights. So at various points in King Kong history, their uh, rights disputes kind of get up and around, which is why you can always tell when there's a rip-off unofficial Kong movie because they're not allowed to use King Kong and they're only able to pull from the movie novelization because the rights for the movie novelization are now uh, free reign because they've entered the public domain, but they were originally owned by Marion C. Cooper and family. He actually owned the rights to the movie novelization. Like I said, complicated. But uh, anyways, I brought up the Robocong to begin with because I think that's probably why there are so many full shots of the Yeti prop in this movie. Like, I I think that's why they use so many kind of like robotic looking Yeti shots, but they they look really bad in this film (laughs) and they could obviously not move at all. But it was like, it was basically like looking at like a a model and not a, not a, not a great model. Um, Unlike the Yeti himself, who is a beautiful model. Uh, let's not lie to ourselves. But um, yeah, so that's kind of why I brought up the... He's got the face that only Jesus could, you know, compare to. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's and that's why he became a disciple of him in uh, in that movie. Uh, Mimao Krau, I think that's how you pronounce the actor's name who, who did Yeti. Oh, um, before we get to final thoughts and a few other things, uh, I must mention... There is a Blu-ray of this movie. Whoa. Why? There's a good print of this? There is. Do not buy the Blu-ray. It was licensed by a very crappy company, and not in terms of quality. I think that the Amazon Prime print is actually the Blu-ray print, which is which is which is because it's a lot better looking than every other print I've seen, and I was like, wow, I can actually see all the hairs on the Yeti. But it was <laughs> licensed by Dark Forces Entertainment, who have taken over scorpion releasing which you might recognize if you're a big uh if you were a big dvd and blu-ray collector of genre films throughout the early 2000s but they are a really bad company in terms of they say a lot of like really crappy controversial stuff and they use a lot of very public and real tragedies to as a joke to sell their movies and they seem like real scumbags like they used i think it was the aurora shooting they used to uh advertise uh their movies they're like oh yeah you thought that carnage was bad you should look at this movie and like they are historically they don't apologize they are not learning they're constantly making like horrendous jokes and like horrendous treatment of of people in general and if you criticize them at all they really attack you online and they'll send all their fans after you and everything and it's not it's not good it's uh, not good so i don't care how good the... work for them <laughs> oh, ooh. Ooh, there's one for the horror franchise we were all it's thinking all, it uh, um oh, i was thinking it, yeah. i was thinking so, I, had a, I had a question um yes 
Is this one of is Yeti because it, it? I mean, apparently it has a Blu-ray, but is this one of those movies? Because it seems like a lot of exploitation films. I was recently watching um, a Cinemasker video where they were talking about the Caveman movie that was in Troll Two that they were watching, and they like tracked down the film and the history of it. That like you know, it's literally just you know the company had the rights to this one movie, so they're like, let's just. But is this a movie that has been released under like different titles and like you know it's it's like uh, Ape Man Four, but you know there's not really an Ape Man One through Three or anything. I think there have been some like weird Yeti Yeti movie titles throughout the day. Like there's like I think there's Yeti from the from twenty thousand years ago or something like that. Like I think there are a few uh different titles this goes under but unfortunately it's not like king kong 2 or something like that in different uh different countries because that would be amazing (laughs) and um you you are right to bring that up steven because a lot of italian cinema this time and getting into the 80s they would do that a lot um i think the most famous version of that in terms of quality is a is a zombie movie called zombie 2 but there is no zombie 1 when Dawn of the Dead got brought no, brought over to Italy, they redubbed it and did an Italian edit, and they retitled the name Zombie. So somebody made a sequel to Dawn of the Dead, which is a sequel to Night of the Living Dead, but their sequel is Zombie 2 in Italy. And then there are five other zombie <laughs> movies um, under various titles. Uh, but in Italy... There is a franchise based off of a movie, which was a sequel, that it's not a franchise to the movies or the original movie. It's a sequel to the Italian version of that movie when it got ported over. So I wonder I wonder what those people are thinking when they're trying to like, well, we can't do this. Like, are, is everyone just like, is this just like a drunk thing? Is this, you know, it doesn't. <laughs> Some of them, like, don't even have zombies in them. So, like, it's always like, so we've got this killer bird movie and there's a bunch of birds that eat people. What if we just call it Zombie 5? Mm-hmm. Then I'm sure, like, we'll get, like, five people to buy it and we'll make our budget back. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe that's what happens. Who knows? It's very it's very weird. It's very weird. It's different licensing. <sighs> different, different licensing. Licensing. Exciting. So I hope everyone enjoyed this, uh, this Trek through Italian cinema as a whole. Does anyone else have any more comments to make or would they just and uh, give you plugs after you kind of give your final thoughts? Valeska. My final thoughts. I don't even know what to say about it. I'm just going to go straight into the plugs. Uh, if you like horror <laughs> movies, <laughs> Joe and I edit a site called anatomyofascream.com. You can go there and read some stuff. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at bitchcraftio. Okay, okay. You were left speechless by the yeeti. The yeeti. I understand. The yeeti. Joe. Yes. Um, I will say that it is uncomfortable to watch this movie knowing <laughs> that Cliff, the, the the man who plays Cliff in real life, was uh, 41 when he made this movie, and his love interest, the main lead, Jane, was 16 years old. So, you. <laughs> He's not really a love interest, though. Like, they're not... That's not a romance. He is there 100% positioned as her boyfriend. They hug while wearing headphones. That's <laughs> intimate. <laughs> there is no closer intimacy. 
Have you tried hugging while wearing headphones? I don't know why I'm obsessed with that moment, but I was just like, they're hugging wearing headphones. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Because you felt it, Stephen. You've been there. We know. We feel it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I I would say, honestly, if this movie had been about 20 to 25 minutes shorter, I probably would have really just enjoyed having a laugh at its expense. And I think it knows that it's not great and it's having a bit of fun with that. But as it is, it's just a little bit too long to be that enjoyable romp. So it's a bit of a pass for me, unfortunately. Okay, and where can we find you on the webs? Ah, um, so I co-host a queer horror podcast called Horror Queers, and that's at Horror Queers on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to follow me personally, it's at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. Perfect, perfect. And Stephen, what are your final thoughts on Mm. this journey to Toronto and the Great White North? I mean, it makes me want to see more movies where, I mean, because that's the sort of, like, how Vancouver has stood in for like every city in the world basically at this point. Uh, But yeah, it makes me want to see more movies with uh, where, where, you know, actual Canadian cities are the forefront. And yeah, it it honestly does make me want to see more of these type of Italian genre films. Cause I think there's a lot of, you know, from tracing the, the, you know, monster movies or like uh, universal monster stuff or like King Kong stuff. It's just like interesting to just even look at the history of it and kind of see what the fringes were. Because, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This movie, it's like, like, what can you do with a Yeti? Like, this Yeti was huge, but like, like that is that even part of the myth of Yetis? Like that they're like forty feet tall or whatever, or twenty feet or however. I feel like the size of the Yeti changed a lot in this movie <laughs> as well in relation to everything. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm glad I watched it just to kind of take a peek into the history of. Uh, you know of how these movies are made because it's just so many moments in this movie it's like from the original king kong to this to then even stuff like even jurassic world where you're like oh like the newest movie you know has some of these tropes definitely in it like the stuff keeps like it it's like you know time is a flat circle sort of thing where it's like the same things keep getting used even today when will we learn (laughs) um but also to me i hope that um because recently with the news for Jurassic World Dominion, which is the third Jurassic World, sixth Jurassic Park, they are bringing back a character from the first movie who was part of the rival company, Biosyn. And this just makes me want somebody to have seen this movie and put Honeycut Enterprises into their next monster movie as like a connection, like it's all part of the same universe. That that's that's I would love to see that because I feel like Honeycut Enterprises is such a great name for like a like an evil corporation it's because it seems pleasant but it's like honey and then cut and you're like what there's something nefarious going on like that yeah i'm not really feature on my mom's company or something yes oh yeah yeah oh that's that's such a great yeah perfect yeah that that would be great yeah i'm not sure what it's a reference to because like normally i would think like it's reference like i would think it may maybe be a parody of a direct canadian company but nope it's just (laughs) honeycut industries and there's like they they make a reference to maple leaf, um, which is which is interesting. Um, which is a real company, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, kind of. I don't think the version of maple leaf they bring up is a is a real company. No. <laughs> yeah, it was fulfilling their Canadian quota, right? Hey, yeah, that's true. That's true. That is probably true. Um, yeah. Oh, this was such a blast. Uh, it was great. Uh, I guess podcast meeting you both. Uh, and great chatting again and, and nice to chat with you again, Andrew. And like, 
Yeah, I guess you can. I mean, for if people are interested in you know the creature feature element, you can always listen to my uh, Jurassic podcast, See Jurassic Right. We just uh, Jurassic June was pretty action packed, uh, so there's a lot of great interviews with you know paleontologists and movie critics and just some really and some good friends of mine about Jurassic Park. So well, we don't just talk about Jurassic Park; we also talk about dinosaurs and other monster movies and stuff too. I'm thinking about doing an episode on Twister because apparently they're going to remake it or reboot it. So and also because uh, it's great. Yeah, and it's, it's great. So um, and uh, at Stephen Ray Morris for all my personal stuff. So yeah, thank you. You can find this podcast on Patreon. Ooh, yes, we've got a Patreon. And it's all dinosaur content right now because we only have one patron. And I asked him what he wanted. And he said, I am, I'm fine with dinosaur stuff. Like, you can just leave the Riverdale stuff off for now. So it's, uh, you know, look at us up at Milkshakes and Mimosas on Patreon. And you can find, find some goodies.